This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. I realized halfway through that I wanted to slip into some sort of detective voice, talking real fast, getting the criminals, ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Yeah, get that bread. Do they say that? Get that bread? Those jokers got a lot of dough. (laughs) Throw them in the clink. Yeah, throw them in the slammer. I'm not going to play the sap for you. I'm house tricks. (laughs) This is our book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. And this is a podcast noir. Uh, Andrew, what book did you read this week? I read The Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett. Correct. You did. That sounds right. Yeah. All right. Dashiell Hammett. Uh, And this was our patron's choice episode for the month of July, thanks to our patrons for choosing this among yeah, thanks, the... thanks, use mugs. <laughs> among the other hard-boiled detect- detective novels that we had, out, the detection novels that we had out there. Uh, more detection info that goes on in here, I guess. On patreon.com slash overdue pod if you it's want to. It's mostly just people sort of stumbling into rooms where other people are and then arguing <laughs> for yeah, a long time. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Um, so the last book that we read like this, Andrew, I think was when I read Raymond Chandler, like that kind of, that like a, co- a guy operating outside of the law to do classic detective things. Yeah, he's a dick. He is. The, the, private, a, the private dick game. Yeah, he is. Um, mm-hmm. And is this a, a, you have not like, you don't live in detective land. This is not like a genre that you inhabit a lot of. I don't right? have a lot. Like I, I've seen a lot of old bad movies that that play on like hard boiled detective tropes. I think I've ever read a hard boiled detective story for the show, though I don't remember the name of it. Sure, <laughs> but as I just sort of did general research on the background of this, like I, I think we've touched on a lot of the stuff before, like it being sort of a serialized story that was published, I think, in Black Mask, which we've talked yeah. about. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. few times, which mm-hmm. is just like an old, pulpy sort of penny dreadful kind of <laughs> genre sure. magazine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and we've we've certainly read stuff that's in the like the British detective style, but this is all kind of like uniquely American in some ways. In yeah, because it's in America, and, and it is also <laughs> as we'll talk. It is like the genre takes a bunch of shapes that. Uh, happen in parallel with the influence of like Hollywood and film mm-hmm. um, that it I think it has kind of like an echo chamber effect on the genre as we like understand as especially as we like reference it maybe perhaps more than the the works themselves okay. um, in, in terms of the tropes and the style but uh, let's talk about Hammett then we'll talk about the book 
Ham was born in 1894 in Maryland. Uh, died in 1961 in New York City, uh, <laughs> and he left school as a teen. Got got bored of school as a teenager. Andrew can't believe anybody that can't believe that ever happened to anyone. But mm-hmm. uh, and began working for the Pinkertons. Just dropping out of school and working for the Pinkertons. Yeah, what a time! What a time it was. <laughs> the union busting, uh, private security force mm-hmm. uh, that still exists today. Mm-hmm. And still uses their like our eyes are always open logo that they have. But I think in a, in a way that reflects the development of America, it's just a brand name owned by some company overseas now. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> we I'd can't s- even make our own goons anymore. We have to outsource <laughs> it. I think also their their prevalence in the type of work that they used to do. Um, some of that got folded into the FBI when the FBI was create. Like, well, and when you and when you're union busting now, you go and you hire a law firm. You don't yeah. go and hire people to go and like bust heads with lead pipes Correct. on the picket lines. Yes, you know they were part of the the 1892 Homestead Massacre against metal workers in Pennsylvania. Uh, they have a long history in this genre. Like Arthur Conan Doyle was good friends with some high up Pinkertons, and he put some Pinkertons in. Uh, What's that guy's name? The detective, the famous one. Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, that one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, there's some Pinkertons in those books. Um, it took me a minute to respond because I couldn't believe that you had forgotten the name of Sherlock Holmes. I was staring I at the words Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in my notes, and I just couldn't pull it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the first thing I think about when I see his name now is that he believed that fairies were real, but... <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is the number two thing, I think. Sure. There's a story in Hammett's history that is, I think, questionable. At this point, people have said it may or may not have actually happened. That while he was working for the Pinkertons, he was offered five grand to kill a union organizer in Montana. And that he refused to do it. But that he did stay with the Pinkertons for a little while. He did go off and serve in World War One, and then came I mean, you back. You can't just like can't just quit your job. I guess not. Yeah, you can't just walk out there like a union might do that. It's interesting. Um, but a version of that story kind of appears in his book Red Harvest, and then some people have like read into his novels kind of a, his disillusionment with this type of organization and, and type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lillian Hellman, who was his partner for a long, long time, kind of talked about how that formative story for him may or may not have been like actually true, but it was spiritually true. You know, the, the kind of not, stories we tell about ourselves. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I guess if that's his personality and you work backwards to a story that helps explain it, then it still explains his personality and his worldview. That's what I mean. It's just like a big lie. Yeah. Is the only thing that's well, (laughs) what are stories, but lies that we tell for fun, Mm -hmm. Um, lies that we publish for money. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In, he started publishing stuff in 1922 in the magazine smart set. Um, and based a lot of his early short stories on his time with the Pinkertons. I read some interesting takes about how his style may have evolved out of the Pinkerton like report writing style, huh. which we have records of. We don't have records of his specifically, but just that it's very, uh, it's purposefully dry. It is not trying to imagine how and why people 
were doing what they were doing in any given case. It's just reporting what happened, mm-hmm. um, which gives it all this very kind of action-oriented and, and uh, cold and calculated feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Chandler said of his work, Hammett gave murder back to the kind of people that commit it for reasons, not just to provide a corpse, and with the means at hand, not with hand-wrought dueling pistols, curare, and tropical fish. That's a quote from The Simple <laughs> Art of Murder, saying, I think, that he he took it out of the, the British drawing room mm-hmm. and put it in the streets. Okay. You know, democratizing. Fictional murder, I guess, is what he said. Uh, and then he had this like kind of big. Uh, he he struggled with uh, like TB throughout his life. He struggled with alcoholism, and that kind of like contributed to his death in the '60s. But um, so he had some rough marriage stuff early in his life uh, before he met Hellman. But then he there's this long part of his history that is his politics. Uh, he was a member of the Communist Party, involved with a lot of other anti-fascist and communist writers he did re-enlist in the army in world war ii even though he was in his 40s and did like some crypto analysis and stuff nfts Uh, he was elected (laughs) president of the civil rights congress in the 40s after the war which was a it did a lot of different things it was a defense fund for predominantly black folks facing like you know unfair jury situations and what things a, like that. What a journey to go from Pinkertons yeah. to, to Pinko. Yeah. You know? I, I, <laughs> dang it. Uh, and he actually um, appeared in court in 1951 because there was this case where the Civil Rights Congress had given bail funds to a bunch of guys who maybe were plotting some sort of overthrow of unjust government let's say and some of them became fugitives and like ran off so they called him in he refused to give any information on the fugitives and he also refused to name the names of any contributors to the bail fund Mm -hmm. so he did time for that um out of contempt of court and then in the mid-50s he was called in front of the house on american committee and was blacklisted with all of those folks um, and I think his other most famous work is The Thin Man. Yes. Um, a novel from, I want to say, thir- 1930, 1940? But then it was like a, also like a big f- franchise. It was a big of, film right? franchise, big, yeah. Yeah, film yeah. and I think possibly like radio TV. drama and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was his last novel and a lot of people wondered why it was his last novel. I found this quote from Lillian Hellman. Uh, I've been asked many times over the years why he did not write another novel after The Thin Man. I do not know. I think, but I only think I know a few of the reasons. He wanted to do a new kind of work. He did get into film and and screenwriting. Uh, He was sick for many of these years and getting sicker, but he kept his work and his plans for his work in angry privacy. And even I would not have been answered if I'd ever asked. And maybe because I never asked is why I was with him until the last day of his life. Jeez. Uh, he's been portrayed in film a few times, um, film and TV, and then, yeah, let's talk about this book. I've never seen this movie, Andrew. It's got Humphrey Bogart it's in it. It's got Bogie in it. I've it's never got- seen the movie, and I've also never seen the 1971 sequel, well, 1975 sequel that came out more than 30 years later, where several people reprised their roles from the first one. It's like a spoof but sequel, it's, right? It's like a silly, like... <laughs> 
I the the poster makes me think of Mamma World. Huh. Where it's just like a guy being chased by a bunch of people. Okay. Because he has something that's worth a bunch of money. But yeah, it's Sam it's Sam Spade's son. Huh. And he now he has the the Falcon and people think it's worth money. Oh god, okay. Imaginations, hell of a thing. Uh the book was published in nineteen thirty. The Maltese Falcon was originally serialized, as you said, Andrew, in The Black Mask in September 1929 in five parts. And it is the functional debut of Sam Spade, who had appeared in a few other short stories of mm-hmm. Hammett's. But this is like the thing. The biggest surprise to me was that there aren't other Sam Sp- I thought Sam Spade was like... uh other detective characters in that they had like a whole line of story. No, no, Hammett had like a, another detective guy who just like didn't have a name. Continental. I don't don't know who was doing brands management back then, (laughs) but I think the first thing that an editor would say is like, you have to have a, if you're going to write, basically the same character in every book that you do, they should have a name and you should go back to them multiple times. Nope. He did not do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And from the, this is from the intro of the book. Uh, This is um, Hammett writing about Sam Spade. Spade has no original, he says. He is a dream man in the sense that he is what most of the private detectives I work with would have liked to have been and in their cockier moments thought they approached. For your private detective does not, or did not ten years ago when he was my colleague, want to be an erudite solver of riddles in the Sherlock Holmes manner. He wants to be a hard and shifty fellow, able to take care of himself in any situation, able to get the best of anybody he comes in contact with, whether criminal, innocent bystander, or client. (laughs) Seems like a pretty unscrupulous character. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, see if that is what you believe. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an approved prequel published in 2009. Uh, approved by whom? <laughs> the Hammett Estate. Okay. And the author, Joe Goris, I guess. Uh, and then it's been adapted to film multiple times. There was a 1931 pre-code, pre-Hayes uh, Code film mm-hmm. starring Ricardo Cortez and B.B. Daniels. And then Warner Brothers wanted to re-release it but that was after the code and they couldn't so they had mm-hmm. they made another one called Satan Met a Lady. Yeah. That's a comedic adaptation of the Maltese Falcon. <sighs> sure. About I mean, a detective they, named yeah. Ted Shane. Ted Shane. They, there are certainly farcical elements to this. Yeah. And the, just the sheer number of times that people get the drop on other people and like kick them and hit them with guns. I you could make it funny. Probably. Yeah. yeah, but it's uh, not. I don't think it's intended as comedy. People comedy. didn't enjoy Satan Met a Lady, so they uh, did it again in 1941. The classic with uh, Bogey and Mary Astor and Peter Lorre, and that kind of crystallized the whole thing. It was a huge success, so much of a success, Andrew, that they named nuclear weapons after two Dashiell Hammett characters. Do you know hmm. that? Hmm. Fat Man, a reference to a character in this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, and sure. little No, that is explicit. That is no, what I, they've said. And then uh, Little yeah, little Boy sure. is just a variation on Thin Man. The original code name was Thin Man. Cool. Okay. Cool stuff. Yeah, that's great. Just want you know, everything's connected. It, make, it makes weapons of mass destruction better if you name them stuff like Bilbo Baggins and what... <laughs> Yeah, after your favorite book, Captain Underpants. After your favorite literary characters, yeah. 
Um, well, let's take a quick break, Andrew, and this then is my, this is my nuke, Ron Weasley. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> take a quick break, and then you can tell me all about uh, Ted Shane in this cool book, Sam Spade. Okay. Craig, you know websites. I'm, I've heard of them. Well, let me tell you about a way to make them. Make this thing that you've heard about. I do think we need more of them, mm-hmm. and I am willing to contribute, but I need the tools. <laughs> okay. Well, luckily for you, Squarespace has those tools. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They have drag-and-drop tools, beautiful templates, and nothing to patch or upgrade ever. You don't need to know any HTML. You don't need to know how to do anything. You just go onto Squarespace and you drag stuff around until it looks the way you want. And they're going to make it easy to do it. I want to make more and I don't care about the quality, but it sounds like these will be quality whether I like it or not. Yes, exactly. Uh, some other tools Squarespace has to help you succeed, even if you have no skills or ideas. Like me. Is you can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logos so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can collect donations by uh, gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You get powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, and more. And for you creators out there, you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. And you get one-click data portability so you can pack stuff up in a little digital suitcase and take it with you wherever you go. That's great. Mm -hmm. If I want to move it or if I'm just kind of ashamed of it. Or if you just want to put it it into a vault or if you need to give it to a gangster in exchange for like a gold falcon. Yeah, okay. (laughs) If this all sounds good to you, go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Caca, I'm a falcon. Oh, God. (laughs) Scree! And other bird noises. Well, no, it's a it's a not a real falcon. It's a like a statuette of a falcon. So there's no bird noises in this book. Okay, I was just being silent like a statue would. There, no, that's good. That's much better. So tell me about the book, The Maltese Falcon. Tell me about how it feels in there. Tell me about what happens in it. And I'm curious to know about this guy named Sam. I didn't know that there was one book that had all the tropes of hard-boiled detective <laughs> literature in it, but this is this is the one. So, could, do you want to like? Do, should I just start naming things I think might be in there, or do you want to tell me what's actually in there? I, I think I, I'll just okay. So here's how the book starts: is Sam Spade is a private dick who is in his PI office doing you know, he's probably like chewing on a cigarette that he made <laughs> he does i heard he makes a lot of cigarettes he makes yeah. his own cigarettes and it sounds frankly like, like the way to get most people to stop smoking now would be to make them make their own cigarettes because <laughs> it sounds so tedious okay <laughs> um so uh, he's in his office and guess guess who comes in 
to Is his it office. a lady with a problem? Yeah, it's a lady with a problem. So is it he, raining outside? I don't remember if it's okay. raining outside. Uh, he so it's Sam Spade, and he's got his like secretary Effie, who is lanky and sunburned, and I don't understand <laughs> why. But those are the terms, and she has a boyish face. Okay. She was a lanky, sunburned girl whose tan dress of thin woolen stuff clung to her with an effect of dampness. Her mm. eyes were brown and playful in a shiny, boyish face. Okay. Uh, so a secretary comes into the office and says, hey, there's a dame here to see you. She doesn't say dame, but that's all sort of implied. There's a yeah. dame with gams down to the floor who's here to see you. Yeah. Um, in comes this lady named Miss Wonderly. She was tall and pliantly slender without angularity anywhere. Her body was erect and high-breasted, her legs long, her hands and feet narrow. She wore two shades of blue that had been selected because of her eyes. Whoa. <laughs> the hair curling from under her blue hat was darkly red, her full lips more brightly red. White teeth glistened in the crescent gr- white teeth glistened in the crescent her timid smile made. Mm. So this book has like a a way of words that's a little like like you said it's it's dry it does read a little bit like a police a weird police report well sometimes. it's like an overly descriptive one right mm-hmm. because and correct me if I'm wrong my understanding is that we're not like. We don't get a lot of, and Sam thought about the world that he lived in. Sam his, doesn't think about anything, yeah. no. So so the flavor that you get is... is just weird descriptions of how people's bodies look. Here's, here's Sam. <laughs> the smooth thickness of his arms, legs, and body, the sag of his big rounded shoulders made his body like a bear's. It was like a shaved bear's. His chest was hairless. His skin was childishly soft and pink. Yeah! Like, what? It, if, you're doing, if you're doing your Pinkerton report... No, this stuff is technically facts. Mm-hmm. Is the way it's presented, it's just very elaborate facts about so Sam, the people. Sam Spade is a big pink bear private detective. <laughs> and Miss Wonderly comes in with all of her lack of angles and her, her red hair and her blue clothes that were chosen because of her eyes. And she says, my sister came to town with this guy. And I need you. I don't know what happened to her. And can you please help me? Okay. I'm a. I'm a helpless. I'm a helpless dame, and I need your assistance. Yeah. Some okay. Money. Sure. Uh, Spade's partner Miles Archer comes in, and Spade is like, "Hey, could you tail this dame?" And then when she meets this guy, could you try follow like, him back start to wherever the guy. it is? Okay. Yeah, follow the guy back to wherever he goes. And Miles Archer. Who we later learn just everybody hates. Oh no! <laughs> is is like okay. <laughs> he just certainly doesn't seem like any more or less of a misanthropic lech than Sam Spade does. Yeah, but because we never hear anybody's thoughts and we only get to hear how people are described and talked about, I guess everybody just hates Miles Archer. Okay. Which make which is why there are no emotional consequences when Miles Archer turns up dead the next day. <laughs> Convenient. Uh, he was killed while he was getting involved with this this dizzy twist oh. of a woman, and uh, I mean he wasn't getting involved with her. He was yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. doing what he had been tasked to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, so both Archer and Thursby, who's the guy he was trying to track, they're both dead. Oh, that's bad. And nobody knows where Miss Wonderly is. And uh, and then Miles's wife calls the office and it's all there's this whole subplot where he and 
Sp- where she and Sam Spade were sleeping together and Archer wouldn't give her a divorce, but everybody thinks that they want to get married. And so Sam is a suspect in Archer's murder because everybody thinks that he wanted to kill Archer and marry his wife. Oh no. And both Spade and Archer's wife are like, yeah, that guy sucked and I hate him and I don't feel anything about him. This is this is the the vibe of what they say is it like we just didn't he was a real jerk and we don't like him and we're not sad he's dead. <laughs> well, that's easy. Well, that doesn't help. Your but I wouldn't. Have, but I would. But but Spade wouldn't. But have I wouldn't killed, have killed him. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have killed him to to marry her. Oh, but also he sucked and nobody liked him. Okay, so the setup it sounds like is there's a case that. This is you part know. of the setup. Like the yeah, first well, like 80% of the book is set up. Yeah. Cause and then it's like the last 10%, the last 20% of it is just explaining what happens. There's a, there's a case where, you know, that kicks things off, but now also he is like the, the complication of him being a suspect creates a whole, like that tension seems part and parcel with the whole mood Right. I mean, so that that creates part of the complication. The other complication is that Miss Wonderly was lying about who she is and what she was doing. There's no sister. There's no anything. Uh, Miss Wonderly is actually somebody named Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Perfect. Who is in town looking for some statue that's okay. very valuable. Okay. And then there's this other guy who's in town, maybe with her, maybe not. They know about each other, but they don't appear to be working together at this point. Uh, his name's Joel Cairo. Okay. And Spade meets with both of them trying to get like more information about what O'Shaughnessy actually wants. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Sam Spade sleeps with Bridget O'Shaughnessy at, at one point because Effie, the secretary, is like, yeah, she, she lies a bunch, but I have a good feeling about her. I think she's okay. You should help her. <laughs> Would you, how early in the book does O'Shaughnessy feel like a femme fatale? Like right away? I don't with the curves. No. I, I I guess right away with the curves, but I don't. You you never. It most of what you see of her is just like Sam talking to her and accusing her of lying all the time, and then her telling more lies. So I don't yeah. know if Femme Fatale was the was the vibe that I got. Okay, sure. I was just trying to follow all the double crossing and triple crossing and mm-hmm. quadruple crossing okay. that was going on. Um, are there other bad guys that we haven't talked about yet? I have to get through the, like the tangle of whatever is going on. So everybody's in town looking for this Falcon. Okay. And Sam Spade is also kind of looking for the Falcon. And then Sam Spade notices that he's being tailed by this young guy. And it turned this young guy, his name is Wilmer, I think. Yeah. He is working for this guy who the book just describes very unflatteringly as a fat man. And mm-hmm. just talks about how fat he is and the way his body looks all the time. Sure. Is this Casper Gutman? Caps- Casper Gutman, which is, okay. I guess, a good name for a fat man. Jesus. In your- <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, the fat man was flabbily fat with bulbous pink cheeks and lips and chins and neck with a great soft egg of a belly that was all his torso and pendant cones for arms and legs. As he advanced to meet Spade, all his bulbs rose and shook and fell separately with each step in the manner of clustered soap bubbles not yet released from the pipe, 
through which they had been blown. His eyes, made small by fat puffs around them, were dark and sleek. Dark ringlets thinly covered his broad scalp. He wore a black cutaway coat, black vest, black satin ascot tie holding a pinkish pearl, striped gray worsted trousers, and patent leather shoes. His, throat, his voice was a throaty purr. Ah, Mr. Spade, he said with enthusiasm and held out a hand like a fat pink star. Whoa. Like, gee whiz. Man. Dash your hammer. Is this why Jabba the Hutt is the way he is? <sighs> is this, this feels book like... why Jabba the Hutt is the way he is? Well, the, the like, the large boss criminal is a, is certainly a thing. I, I don't I don't want to ascribe like obviously making t- tying like undesirable physical yeah, or like that's a trope yeah uh, uh, abnormal like personality or sexuality or or like abnormal body type to somebody and then saying yeah they're evil yeah and to show you how evil they are like Baron Harkonnen they just have to be like fat and gross yeah yeah i don't know that this book invented that it's just like part of a grand tradition of being horrible <laughs> no i i mostly i bring up jabba be just because of the like criminal underground element that this seems to be pinging is this guy a part of a criminal underground or is he a different is he a politician is he a cop he's, just, he's he's a he's a fat man who is also looking for the falcon Okay. And also appears to be working like mostly just with a couple of other people. Okay. <laughs> He's, I mean, he knows a lot of people, but you only re- ever really meet like four of them. This whole book has the vibe of a, of a play that is told on the same set with like the same five actors just kind of filtering in and out of the room in different combinations over and over again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of plays. I wouldn't yeah. use that as shorthand for derogatory. That's just how a lot of plays work. I didn't say it was derogatory. I just well, said you said it with a tiredness. <laughs> that yeah. That has a connotation. Sure. Okay. Uh, but- so this so this horrible, disgusting, fatly sure. fat man is fatly looking for the <laughs> Maltese Falcon statue. Okay. And this is... <laughs> Has at this point in the book, I just can't get over how like much he really like. What's the is it beating a dead horse that I want? What's the turn of phrase that I'm looking for? He just really, really, really goes for it describing this guy. It's at this point, and the answer might be no. And if the answer is no, did it matter to you while you were reading it? Has the book explained at all why anybody wants the statue? That's what we're. I was just getting to that. So okay, great. Fat man calls in Sam Spade, and they talk to each other. And the fat man's like, "Okay, here's a bunch of history about like the Knights of Malta oh. and this and this agreement between them and like the King of Spain." Yes. Okay. <laughs> and there's this thing where somebody at some point gave Malta a falcon as a gift. And it was like a reminder that Malta still belonged to Spain or something. It's it's pretty torture. Okay. <laughs> but the point is there's this gold falcon statue encrusted with many jewels and made out of gold. And at some point in history, it's painted black to conceal its value. And then it sort of like disappears off the face of the earth. But this guy Gutman traces it to some Russian expat in Constantinople. Mm. Not Istanbul. Not Istanbul. Uh huh. 
So Gutman, the fat man that we talked about, he yep. has hired O'Shaughnessy to get this Falcon for him from this Russian guy. Okay. Because Gutman suspects that by asking the Russian guy to buy the Falcon, he has tipped the Russian guy off to the fact that it might be worth some money. And so maybe he needs to send somebody else to go get the statue for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, O'Shaughnessy brings in the guy, uh, Cairo, uh, Joel Cairo. So they're going to get the Falcon together and like Thursby's involved too. He's like a bodyguard type. But then once O'Shaughnessy gets the Falcon, like she and Thursby run away with it. And okay. like leave leave Joel behind, I think, in like prison or something. Basically leave him for dead. Sure. Uh, so they all make it to San Francisco via boat. Um, and everybody like, every, you know, everybody's going for the Falcon. Everybody, everybody wants it. Everybody wants to know where it is. Um, at some point, this like boat captain also gets involved, like also figures out what the what the loot is, I think, is is also working with O'Shaughnessy. And so she it's she's lying to so many people about so many things that it's hard to know who actually does and actually does not know about the, the, the location of the Falcon at any one point in time. Okay. But it seems like she's the only one who actually knows where it is. And it ends up being the case that like there's this altercation and O'Shaughnessy gives this like boat captain, the Falcon and tells the boat captain to get it to spade and then Wilmer, the youth who Sam Spade really hates, shoots the captain. But the captain is this big, huge guy, and he's so strong. And he still makes it to Spade's office and gets him the Falcon. So we get to a point where Sam Spade has the Falcon, and everybody else wants it. And so they all go and meet together. And Gutman promises Spade a bunch, has promised Spade a bunch of money for his assistance in finding the Falcon. And... Spade is like, okay, you can have it, but I, one, need my money, and two, you need to give me a fall guy for these murders that the cops think I did so that I can get out of this jam. Because, like, this is my town, this is where I live, and you're going to go off the hair and off to Constantinople or whatever, but I still got to live here and work with the police (laughs) and not be in jail. (laughs) Have the cops, like, been in the novel at all? Yeah, there there are a couple... um, Spade has like a sort of frenemy relationship with them that I, that would be pretty familiar. I think if you're, that was, a, used, that was one of the relationships uh-huh. I was wondering about. Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's not anything that is as that like sticks out in my mind so much as the description of how fat this one guy is. Sure. <laughs> but sure. if you're familiar with the, with any like detective fiction where, the cops and the PIs like sometimes are working at cross purposes, but sometimes are working together. And it's clear that they all just like know and understand each other and like run mm. in the same circles. Like that is the vibe here okay. for sure. But like there's one cop that is kind of friends with Sam Spade and one cop who really hates Sam Spade and wants to <laughs> nail him for this murder. And okay. that's the dynamic is you just check in with them every once in a while as the story unfolds. Okay. And, th- but this book is not at all concerned with like, corruption in the police force no, and, no, no, that, no. as i recall that was like a big part of uh chandler which is the like mm-hmm. systems of power the the reason that the private eye is like an interesting figure in that is that he can like because he's not part of the system mm-hmm. he's accomplishing some some you know 
moral goods, but he has to, you know, break some rules. And mm-hmm. this is just like a bunch of people want a thing, which doesn't yeah, seem it's, to be it's about- mostly that you do like when when Spade is talking about how he needs a, a fall guy and not just that he wants a fall guy, but that he needs one. And that's what he needs. Like he has said, he says, you know, I've gotten out of a bunch of scrapes, but I I've been all the way up to the Supreme Court. What with this? He says it's a weird little run, but it's what does like I mean. <laughs> what, what was? Why did he go to court? At one time or another, I've had to tell everybody from the Supreme Court down to go to hell, and I've got away with it. I got away with it because I never let myself forget that a day of reckoning was coming. I never forget that when the day of reckoning comes, I want to be all set to march into headquarters, pushing a victim in front of me, saying, "Here, you chumps, is your criminal." <laughs> As long as I can do that, I can put my thumb to my nose and wriggle my fingers at all the laws in the book. The first time I can't do it, my name's Mud. There hasn't been a first time yet. This isn't going to be it. That's flat. That's flat. Oh, (laughs) dang. I like that. Why does this book have like cool lingo in it and also reprehensible depictions of people? (laughs) I don't know. Why can't I just have the cool stuff is what I want to know. Yeah, that's the fun of of reading a book that was written in 1930, I guess is like, sometimes people say really cool things and sometimes they're just so nightmarishly cartoonishly fat phobic that it defies description. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. And that's flat. And that's flat. God, if I can't get through this book description, my name's mud. Um, (laughs) So, they're all in this room. Sam Spade is like, yeah, okay, everything can work out. I can bring the Falcon. I need a fall guy because like, the Supreme Court is going to come in asking me <laughs> questions about these murders. Because <laughs> I guess that's what the Supreme Court was getting up to back in the 30s. Yeah, probably. Ugh. Why don't they go back Ugh. to that? I wish they would be busier with little ticky-tack crimes instead of you know rewriting <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the yeah. way that society is wired. Mm. Um. So they, the conversation turns to who's going to be the fall guy. And Spade is like, why don't we make this kid Wilmer who I hate the fall guy? Huh. And, <laughs> and Wilmer's like, uh, what if we didn't? And Casper is like, well, I love him like a son, but okay. He can be the fall guy. Oh, God. <laughs> and then uh, there's this whole weird. So for all of O'Shaughnessy's duplicitousness and lying there is like something maybe possibly romantically between there has Spade to be. and her yeah. like that's as close to the femme fatale thing I think you're asking about as okay. as it gets is like I don't know Sam's pretty handsy with Effie too he's just and he also mm. is actively sleeping with his dead ex-partner's wife yeah. So it's hard to really take him seriously when he's like, I don't know, I don't know, kid. Maybe I love you, maybe I don't. But sure. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But that's the that's the vibe. Okay. Okay. Um and there's this whole weird little sequence where it's like, what are we spending time doing where like Casper has given given Spade an envelope with ten one thousand dollar bills in it? I think this was back when they had one thousand dollar bills to make I guess to make mm. crime easier because <laughs> mm. that's the only reason anybody would need a thousand dollar bill. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then Spade gives Casper the envelope back and Casper's like, Oh, this only has $9,000 bills in it now. And then he like Spade and O'Shaughnessy need to go into a room 
And he's like, take your clothes off so I can see that you don't have the thousand dollar bill. And then they do. And then he comes back out and Casper's like, well, I had the, the, I took, I took the thousand dollar bill. It was all just a test, but I don't know what it was a test of. And it's just so much. much It's like, why is this happening? Okay. So anyway, Effie brings the Falcon by and leaves. Okay. Even though this is a very tense like standoff with a bunch of criminals in a in a room, if he just kind of like brings kinda wanders in, in. And leaves yeah, and is not like held hostage or used as any kind of collateral in any way. And Casper takes a knife. He basically is going to bite the chocolate coin to make sure that it is not chocolate. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and he scrapes he scrapes some of the black paint off and it's lead and he's been had and probably it was the Russian guy this whole time and the statue's been a fake. Okay. Cool. Couldn't um, see that coming. And Spade tries to be like, well, I just said I was going to give you the Falcon. It's not my fault that it's fake. I want to keep the money. And Casper's like, no, I don't want you to keep the money. And Spade's like, okay, here's your money back. (laughs) Sure. And and then everybody's going to try and leave. Uh, And and Casper's like, well, obviously, I don't want Wilmer, who I love like a son, to be the fall guy anymore. You can figure it out. And Spade's like, okay, I'll figure it out. And then they all leave except for O'Shaughnessy. And then immediately Sam Spade picks up the phone to the cops and is like, hey, all these criminals are coming, <laughs> are trying to trying to run away. You should go catch them. <sighs> That's cool. I like and, that. And then he still needs a fall guy. Huh. And so it's coming like through all the all the standing off and everything, we learned like the truth of what actually happened. And it was Wilmer who killed most of everybody. But then O'Shaughnessy was the one who killed, I think his partner and the like bodyguard guy. Thursby or whatever. Yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. And he's like, well, I still, okay. So I still need to give the cops the, a person. So I don't be in trouble. And O'Shaughnessy's like, Oh, but Sam, I love you. You can't do this to me. And he's like, maybe I love you. Maybe I don't. And if you are in prison, maybe I'll wait for you. And if you get, if you get sent to the gallows, like I'll probably feel pretty bad about it for a little bit, but it'll be fine. And so he turns her into the cops. Oh man. He says he's not going to be a sap for her. Like over and over. He says that he won't be a sap for her. Dang. And then he goes back to his office and gets like, just a little touchier with Effie than is comfortable. And she's like, Hey, your dead partner's wife is coming up to see you and probably ask you again about marrying her because you've been sleeping together all this time. And she thinks that you're in love and Sam's like, "Ugh, okay. And then the book's over. <laughs> cool. It just, the, the lack of interiority is just makes it a little funny sometimes just how, sure. how much characters are just sort of like bouncing around and like drifting from situation to situation. And you don't, especially with all these like women who Sam is sort of flirting with, I think later noir novels do make more interiority happen. Yeah. Like you yeah. get that, you get the monologue of the, of the PI who's in his office drinking and drinking a belt of scotch while it's raining outside. Like you get more of that because I think you need more of that to make it feel you, you need there to be another like narrative plane on which things can sure up and happen. Well, I was, I was <laughs> you know reading I mean? through, I was reading through the summary of the thin man and mm-hmm. 
it's about a guy who used to be a private eye and mm-hmm. he, and he's like married and they live together and uh and just when he thought he was out they pull him back they in they pull him back in mm-hmm. and like that has an innate kind of like emotional core that everything he's doing he got pulled back into it so even if he doesn't you know monologue as much as other private eye characters does do you have that sense of like how he might be feeling about it. it sounds like this is a little a little thinner than that yeah right which may yeah, also explain is the thinner man which may also explain why it it was like ripe for a successful film adaptation yeah like, yeah yeah there's definitely like you can add more shading to what's going on here and make a, a really compelling yeah. piece of fiction i think for sure not that this uh, doesn't have things about it that are interesting. And certainly, like, I'll never forget the description of the fat man geez. or Sam Spade, this giant pink, this giant pink <laughs> detective. How did the, I mean, I guess, speaking of a book full of tropes, like, how did the, it felt, it sounds like the Falcon slash MacGuffin thing wore on you. It was, I know you I don't mean, love a MacGuffin generally. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean not generally. the The only thing that sort of wore is that I, I think it does get a little bit back to the lack of interiority. But at, okay. at some point, it's just like, okay, I don't know where the Falcon is, and if you give me like two or three Mister X, the narrative effect of that is still I don't know where the Falcon is and I'm waiting for it to show up Mm. (laughs) and I don't Mm -hmm. like because I don't know enough about anybody's like motivations or who they're working for or what they're doing it does it kind of does get a little bit samey just as a yeah yeah and I don't I don't know that this would have like registered to an audience reading it at the time like certainly it's yeah like when you're when you're pioneering a genre or developing it for the first time these things that read like deficiencies or plot holes or whatever now like i definitely don't think they would have read that way then and especially if you're reading this in what like five installments yep exactly printed over whoever however many months like you probably would have a little bit more patience for it (laughs) well yeah that's interesting because like by making it the only MacGuffin of the story then it gives it so much importance but then you're right like over obscuring the relation you know anybody's relationship to it or mm-hmm. its literal presence in the story yeah, yeah. Well, and, by, okay. and by making spade kind of a scumbag too then i think the reader is a little less interested in like oh is this guy gonna find love is he gonna yeah, make like sure. a quarter of a million dollars off of this statue like i i don't i don't know and i don't know if i care that much because he seems like kind of a jerk sure <laughs> but not in like a occasionally in a fun anti-hero sort of way mm. you you have to sort of look past the the womanizing and all the yeah. drinking and stuff to to really be like oh yeah that that guy he's he's cool he, he doesn't care what anybody thinks but yeah okay. i think that that would have been how he would register to an audience reading at the time yes, yes. Just like what was the thing that hammett said about like this is he's the pi that the guys i worked with wish they were yes. and in some of their moments kind of approached where yes. he's all devil may care and can get out of any scrape. Like he, he does definitely get into scrapes, but despite la- mostly a lack of backup or reliable allies, he does just kind of 
He gets out of there. He fig- he figures it out. Hyper competent. He's had to tell everyone from the Supreme Court <laughs> down to go to hell, and he's gotten out of it. I was just so struck that uh, Hammett said that he he referred to him as a dream man, which mm-hmm. just like gives away the fact that he's like he is deliberately not rooting this in reality, even though he's dressing it in reality. Mm-hmm. Right, like he's not. Yeah, a, right. He's not a person with it. Yeah, with person. When he's conscious, I think consciously. Not saying, oh, this is autobiographical, or yeah. this is like somebody who I definitely worked with at the at the Pinkerton. There were there were definitely people who were like, is Sam, is Sam Spade based on you? And he's like, no, it's not. Bah, I'm not a Pinkerton anymore. Um, the other thing I wanted to just flag because it came out in a couple different articles about both the movie and the book. Um, did you note the word Gunsel, Andrew? Yeah, I did. I did. I that was one that I highlighted so that the built-in Kindle dictionary would tell me what it was. And it yes. immediately, the first word was archaic, but it just means like a guy with a gun. <laughs> well, it doesn't though, <laughs> is the thing. That's what the dictionary said. So uh, actually it is a, uh, I believe a Yiddish synonym or idiom that means like a kept man in a uh, male-to-male relationship. Huh. And originally, the the Hammett used the term catamite, which means the same thing. Or mm-hmm. yeah. and his editor flagged it and said, "You can't use it." And as like a derisive term for Wilmer, uh, too you know, derogatory for the 1930s. Yeah, a, ho- yeah. a homophobic term used against Wilmer. And so then he put in gunsel, and everyone's like, "Oh, it just it sounds like gunslinger." So he's mm-hmm. got a gun. Mm-hmm. It's not homophobic. It's we snuck it past the Hayes Code. Yeah, I think you snuck it past the Kindle Dictionary. Yeah. Too. So that's I, that's just in there. I I I mostly there's been some fun writing about the like subtext of some of the performances in the film and also just about peter laurie's performance uh but then also it's like this haze code thing of like what words were allowed and what mm-hmm. weren't and, mm-hmm. and yeah sam spade's not a good guy <laughs> let me just read you a little bit more more lingo because i Please, think the lingo, the, lingo. the lingo is Let's the most fun go out thing on the lingo the book. Yeah. well a fellow like that alone in a big city who put the slug to you sam it wasn't cairo spade looked attentively at the small silver dome covering luke's toast How's chances of giving his room a casing while he's out? Can do. You know I'm willing to go all the way with you all the time. Luke pushed his coffee back, put his elbows on the table, and screwed up his eyes at Spade. But I got a hunch you ain't going all the way with me. What's the honest to God on this guy, Sam? You don't have to kick back on me. You know I'm regular. (laughs) (laughs) That's flat. You know I'm regular. I like how's... You know I'm regular. (laughs) I I like how's chances. Mm Mm-hmm. House chances is good. House chances is good. I'm willing to go all the way with you all the time. Very uh, could be misconstrued in give the me mo- the modern honest era. To God on this guy. What's the honest to God on this guy? You don't have to kick back on me. You know I'm regular. Man, well, my name. I don't know. Mud. I don't know what. I don't know what his gastrointestinal situation has to do with anything. <laughs> but I guess he's regular. Um, Didn't you also tell me that every description of what people are eating was oh messed God. up? Every just like everything that everybody eats or drinks is just so stomach turning to me. And I don't like so there's a scene where Spade and the cops are in Spade's apartment and Spade is just like he keeps pouring everybody these big glasses of just Bacardi with nothing else in it. Like no ice, no mixers, no anything. And they're all just drinking glasses of Bacardi. (laughs) And the fat man gives him 
whiskey with just seltzer in it, which why would you want bubbly, weird, watered down whiskey? Who wants that? And then there, and then spade and a cop meet together later and they're just meeting. They're just casually eating pickled pig's feet. Yeah. And pull house balancing pale, bright jelly on a fork halfway between plate and mouth. Like, why do I have, and they're just like, <laughs> eat, they're just Tom scowled and chopped at his pig's foot with a knife. Like, stop making me think about how they're eating pickled pig's feet while I'm reading this story. <laughs> and then everybody's just like drinking two cups of coffee and smoking cigarettes and eating toast. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that anybody in this book can be regular. Like it must be, <laughs> it must be horrible. Yeah. A lot of ulcers in this Bath book. I would wise. imagine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, so anyway, that <laughs> I, I do always enjoy getting to do some like noir or hard boiled stuff just because the lingo is so silly and, yeah, it's it's been so like combed over by pop culture at this point that it's like come back around on itself. Well, and I <laughs> and I, it reads as parody, even though it's like pioneering in the <laughs> yes. genre, you know. Yeah, I really appreciate going back to the source on some of this stuff because like the modern version of all of these stories is either, you know, it's very influenced by like Law and Order and it's very influenced by like true crime and this is it's doing it's hitting similar narrative beats but it's doing a very different thing and it's also mm-hmm. different from your agatha christie's also mm-hmm. um and it's also it's also missing like you asked about a few things that are that are definitely like established tropes of this genre but which are not like clearly present here like the okay. whole like femme fatale thing and then stuff like that like it's still it is still a developing genre that i think sure. by the time Chandler gets to it has yeah. picked up more of those like familiar elements but, and, and yeah. really took off with like the film, the, the modern film version of mm-hmm. it too, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, well, cool. So that's it. Um, Andrew, make sure you hide your most precious statue so that no one knows where it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm regular. <sighs> send us an email. <laughs> If, or your name is Mud uh, at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, tell us about your favorite hard boiled detective or your favorite hard boiled egg. Um, you he can took his hand us- from his chin and rubbed her cheek. You're a damned good man, sister, he said and went out. That's him talking to Effie, I think. Share us your favorite hard boiled lingo <laughs> or on, on social media uh, at Overdue Pod. Uh, thanks to Ponfed, James, Brent, Jennifer, Noah, Rebecca, Jamie, Alex, Tara, and Alexander, and whoever Alexander spoke to on the train about our podcast. <laughs> thanks, Alexander, for spreading the word out in the real world. Uh, our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Um, this, is, this is our first... We're recording uncharacteristically early. This so is our I first do, July episode, right? Yeah. So, so you I, have a July schedule, yes? I do. Next week is Redacted. Okay. Uh, the week after that is Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Mm-hmm. The week after that is Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Mm-hmm. And then we have Goosebumps on the main feed, closing it out for the bonus of the month. Mm -hmm. That's July. 
Okay. Tune in next uh, week to find out what the book is. <laughs> Patreon.com slash pod is a way to support us and get bonus episodes early and to join our Discord server and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, that money helps us pay for the cost of running the show and helps us pay for things that we need in our lives yeah. to live. So we really appreciate that support. <laughs> thanks uh, for the just thanks for the the dough and the bread and the cheddar. Uh, Y'all are the bee's knees. We recently recorded a bonus episode for Star Trek: Killing Time First Edition. Uh, that wouldn't have happened without our Patreon support, and it'll be on the main feed probably like a week and a half to two weeks from this recording dropping. Okay. So yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, we will talk to you next week for a special, very special redacted episode. And until then, try to be regular. <laughs>